I graduated from college in 2001 with my degree in journalism, but I didn't practically get to really be a journalist for like 14 years <laughs> because I was working for Impact with communication abilities, but not working as a full-time journalist, you know? And so now I am, and now I'm being presented with this leadership opportunity, and it's like, I've only got to really be a writer for like a year or so. <laughs> Wait a minute. But what I sense the Lord, he, he has this way of talking to me where he's, he nudges me. Like he gives me space to process, which is part of how I'm built. I need to reflect and think, and then I move. Um, but I felt the nudge, and the nudge was, Mel, this opportunity is for you. There's never been a you in a role like this in crew. There's never been an African-American woman leading on a national level in a communication space for this ministry. This is an opportunity that you can't say no to. You know, I'm opening this door and there's a reason for it and I want you to move forward. Welcome to Listener, a crew podcast platforming leaders from across the organization. Today's guest is my friend going all the way back to new staff training, Melody Copenny managing editor of Crew Storylines, our virtual magazine. Enjoy the show. Melody Latrice, we go all the way back to the El Carib at, in Daytona back in 2000, 2000? Three, 2003. I'm terrible <laughs> with the numbers. Um, but that's where we were roommates. And the first thing I remember is that you would turn the heat on because it was while, <laughs> while we were sleeping. And here I was this Oregon girl, and I was like, it is not cold here. I'm in Florida. And you were from the South, and you were like, it's cold. And I'm turning on the heat. <laughs> so that was the first, that was funny. Um, what, what are your favorite new staff training memories? Go. Oh, goodness. Let's see. Favorite new staff training memories. Okay, so this is you and me memory, which, you know, younger staff members don't do this because it's probably not a good thing to do. But when Sam and I would have like one of those evening classes where, you know, you're getting trained in the Bible or whatever they want you to know. <laughs> it's important, not whatever. It's important. And American Idol had just really busted out the gates. I think it was like the second season. And so Sam and I are huge fans, and we made a code for leaving class early so that we could go watch the show. And so it was like a little dance gesture that one of us would do. It was kind of like the snake sitting in your seat. And so either she would do it, and then she'd get up and leave, and a couple seconds later, I would get up and leave because we knew that was the code. Yeah. And I don't know how many times we did that. But we will leave class early when we should have been in class learning about Jesus so that we could go and watch American Idol. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, dog. That, that was, was one when Randy was on. I know. Randy, Paula, and Simon. Back in the day. Mm-hmm. Another memory. Huh. The fact that you, me, and Wendy were all roommates together in one room. I don't think a lot of people in our class had to have three roommates, but we had three. And it worked out really good. I know, we loved each other. Although one of us always had to sleep on the floor. Do you remember that? No. No, I think we did. (laughs) I don't remember that at all. I remember you taught me how to cook eggs in the microwave. (laughs) 
And my life was forever changed that, after that point. That's an important life skill. Sticking <laughs> eggs in the microwave. It's helpful. It's good. Yeah. Well, look at all that's happened in your life since New Staff Training 2003. Yeah. You are now the managing editor for Crew Storylines mm-hmm. here in Orlando. Tell us a little bit about your career path up to this point. What a path it's been. <laughs> so I first connected with the world of crew through the impact movement. Went to an impact national conference as a college student. My last year of school when I was at the University of Georgia, we did not have an impact movement, but there were what I would call remnants of impact people um, at UGA who had gone to impact 96 and 98 and were very excited about what this ministry offered to African-American students and just like being known in our culture, but also Um, this space to grow as believers that were very committed to Jesus. So I had friends that were like, you got to go to Impact 2000. So, and it's going to change your life. And I was like, okay, whatever. And I went and it did. It changed my life. Mm -hmm. And at that conference, I encountered quite a few things. One thing I encountered was I had never prayed to the Lord about my career and what he wanted me to do with it. I knew that I was gifted as a communicator and as a writer. I was majoring in magazine journalism, was planning to move to New York and write for Essence. I had no job, by the way, and no plan to get to New York. But in my mind, I thought, this is where I'm going to be headed. Like, this is me. And had not thought, you know, maybe I should pray and ask God what he wants me to do with my life. And at that point, I was only a Christian for a year. I was a baby Christian. So I didn't really know to even think about praying about my career in that way. So I met the Lord significantly in that area and sensed God asking me to yield and surrender my plans for my career to him. Um, and And I said, yes, I'll do that. And while I was at the conference, went to a seminar about doing an impact internship where I learned about doing a campus ministry um, experience for 10 months at a campus at some some part of the U.S. and decided to sign up for that. And that was significant as well. <laughs> and so after the conference, applied for the internship program, got accepted. And then after college, instead of moving into the professional world, I moved into full-time ministry. I had no context for being a missionary No context for ministry, (laughs) but I knew that God was stirring something in my heart to move and to go with him. And so that internship experience opened the door for me, one, to grow and learn more about impact. From going to just a college conference to this incredible, huge movement that's touching the lives of black students all across the country and wants to be active in the redemptive story of God's love for people of African descent. And so that led me to go on a summer mission with Impact about a year later. And while I was in South Africa for that summer mission, um, felt another stirring from the Lord where he made it very clear that he was calling me to serve with Impact full time and enter the ministry field as my profession, which was huge, a huge decision. Um, I felt that I was, in a sense, putting my love for writing and media and journalism in a closet and closing the door and walking away and trusting the Lord by faith that whatever he wanted me to do um, would be his best for me, but also in a sense, putting my first love in the space 
and not quite sure if I'd ever come back to it. So um, my time with Impact became a 14-year career, and I did like 10,000 jobs. Well, maybe not 10,000, but I had a lot. The thing is, when you work for a nonprofit, you get a lot of experience and a lot of different things. And so because of my communications background, I started out in communications with our operations team and did web management um, and email communications for Impact. I also began to work with our conference and event team. And so now I was helping to shape the conference experience for college students in the same way that I had entered a conference experience and got my life changed. So that was really, really, really like a blessing to be able to do that. I worked on, I think, seven or eight national impact conferences. Wow. My favorite one was Impact 2006. A lot of fun stories with that one. Um, eventually, Impact launched its own marketing and communications department. So I became a founding member of that team, and we began to reshape um, mission and vision language for the for the movement, branding, logo stuff. I became a a brand um, protector, I think is how I would describe it. Um, and a lot of crew staff understand this. You have the crew logo being used, you know, on a campus and someone decides to make it rainbow colored. And it's like, no, that's not the color of the logo. Or to put it in all caps. Uh-huh. No. That's not how it works. So, you know, being able to do that with our campus ministries across the country. Um, so that was super fun working with the marketing team. And then that opened up space for me um, a few years later to actually become the director of communications for Impact. And so my heart in doing that role was to build um, tighter cohesion internally with our organization amongst our staff and leadership as I also um, produced an external communications plan that connected well with our students, alumni, um, church partners, and other constituents. And so that was super exciting. Got to work with our Impact Summer Mission um, strategy a couple summers. It's totally life-changing. Loved all of that experience. We also did an Impact Internship Program here in Orlando that I helped to serve with and lead um, a couple summers. And just saw a lot of fruit um, in my time. The Lord used my journey with Impact to grow me up as a young woman in my faith. Um, I think I started working with Impact when I was like 21 right out of college, you know? And so all of my 20s were shaped and formed um, in, in that space. And I think being with people from the African-American experience like I was, um, who loved Jesus, also built into my cultural identity in some significant ways as my spiritual identity continued to grow as well. So that was very encouraging for me. Um, but you know, as as sometimes happens with life, changes and unexpected things happen. And so um, Impact went through a season of changes where um, the Lord was calling people to move into different opportunities. And so they were transitioning from the ministry to pursue um, new horizons and counseling or church planting themselves. Um, and so it was it was hard to see people that were not only my close friends and co-workers um, transition, but who were my family. Like this was family for me. And so um, it was difficult to see those transitions. And then the Lord began to do a stirring in me where I myself was entering a space of 
seeing that he was also preparing me for a transition. And so in 2013, I sensed the Lord tell me that, you know, Mel, this this will be the last year you'll serve in an impact conference space in this way. I think it, that may have been impact 2012 or 2013. Um, and he made it clear to me that he was calling me to write again, which I thought, okay, well, what will that look like? <laughs> and where will I be? Um, and God was just asking me to trust him. And so the actual opportunity didn't present itself until about a year later. I decided to do the Lakehart Stint experience here in Orlando. Had the chance to have just some good time to rest and reflect and consider what my next steps would be professionally, whether that would be with crew or maybe God was calling me to something different. And in the course of the stint, um, was connected with crew's U.S. communications department and the writer's team at Lake Hart, where a team existed of full-time journalists that loved Jesus and used their abilities as writers and communicators to tell God's story through crew around the world. Didn't know that team even really existed in that space. And so... Was that separate from Worldwide Challenge? So that team wrote for Worldwide Challenge. And they also did writing for crew.org and some other parts of the ministry. And got connected with the team leader there, Nick DeCola, and um, he made it very clear, Mel, when you're done with your stint, we would love to have you <laughs> join our team. And so I felt it was such a, a sweet gift from the Lord because I wanted to have this awareness of where my feet would land in a soft place before stint even ended. Like I didn't want to be in the spring of 2015 trying to figure out where am I going to go? And the Lord pretty much let it be known in October of 2014, this is your next step. And so when Stint concluded um, that following spring in 2015, um, I knew where I was going to be going. And my time with Impact came to a close, and I joined that team June 2015. And so that opened up lots of opportunities to write full-time as a journalist. Um, We would consider ourselves missionary journalists, my team would. And um, about a year later, Worldwide Challenge, the magazine, came to a close as as we began to shift our communications focus to digital platforms. And so Cruise Storylines then became our new opportunity to do that through. Um, It's our digital magazine, and we publish feature stories, um, photo galleries, videos as well, and the goal is just to tell the story of what God's doing in crew around the world and in the U.S. So I started writing there, also did some writing for crew.org, and in the fall of 2017 was invited to become the managing editor of Crew Storylines. And so that was a a new shift for me. Um, And what I realized, because initially saying yes to that opportunity, it felt like, it felt like another, like, I got to make a decision about something that I love and like kind of shifting how I'm going to experience it. And so with leadership, often when you say yes to something where you're leading, you also are in a sense saying no to something else that maybe you really enjoy. And so for me, it was like, man, I've only really been writing and, you know, doing this journalism thing in this space for just a little bit of time. And for me, if you really look at my my leadership story up to this point, I graduated from college in 2001 with my degree in journalism, but I didn't practically get to really be a journalist for 
like 14 years <laughs> because I was working for Impact with communication abilities, but not working as a full-time journalist, you know? And so now I am, and now I'm being presented with this leadership opportunity, and it's like, I've only got to really be a writer for like a year or so. <laughs> Wait a minute. But what I sense the Lord, he, he has this way of talking to me where he's, he nudges me, like he gives me space to process, which is part of how I'm built. I need to reflect and think, and then I move. Um, but I felt the nudge, and the nudge was, Mel, this opportunity is for you. There's never been a you in a role like this in crew. There's never been an African-American woman leading on a national level in a communication space for this ministry. This is an opportunity that you can't say no to. You know, I'm opening this door and there's a reason for it and I want you to move forward in it. <laughs> and as I began to think about what the Lord was showing me and saying to me, um, my fear of, well, I'm, I'm not going to be able to write as much as I want to became replaced by I have the opportunity to influence and shape how something is actually produced. Um, and in that, I can also give a little bit of room to myself to write the stories that I want to write. Because if you're leading, you can kind of, you know, maybe do that a little bit here and there. So um, I took that opportunity and I've been in this role now for, ooh, is this fully a little over a year and a half, I want to say. Yeah. So that's kind of how I came about it. <laughs> So I know that you're still a writer at heart because sometimes when I hang out with you, it's like there's just ideas in, in your head and you're, you would tell me about characters that you would think up or situations that they would be in. And so just these creative stories that are always churning in your mind. And on social media, it still says, I will write for Essence one day so are you are you gonna leave are you still feeling that way are you gonna still write for essence one day as I often like to tell people lord willing and the creek don't rise that that will happen um I'd love to do something for Essence Magazine. It, for me, for those who don't know what Essence is, it is, I would consider it the the magazine for African-American women in our country. Um, one of the taglines for Essence is um, where black women come first. And so in the, the scope of the black community, um, there are these spaces, these, these places where um, culture and the history of the African-American experience is just affirmed and there's love and there's pride um, because of the different struggles that black people have had to endure in America. And so Essence is this safe place that celebrates black women and that provides resources through the articles and content that's provided um, to educate, to inspire, um, and to remind African-American women who they are and where they've come from. And it's been around since the 70s, maybe, maybe a little bit older than that, definitely in the 70s. So I grew up with Essence in my house, um, at my auntie's house. And so for me, it's like, um, it's like family. You know, how can a magazine be family? But that's how it feels. And so to have the opportunity to write for Essence would not only be amazing, but it would be an honor to have my words in a space that helped me grow up and influence the kind of woman that I am today. Yeah. Okay, so you grew up with 
essence in your house, an essence affirming who you were as an African-American woman. Mm -hmm. And that was part of your dream was to write for them one day. So how does it feel to now be partway through your career and to have God called you instead into a very white place, very white organization, but into this managing editor of storylines for, like you said, the one of the first African-American women to have a communications leadership position. I'm laughing. Why? Because Sam was like, I'm just going to put cruise business all out in the streets. <laughs> We talk about it all on Listener. <laughs> hey, there you go. So how does it feel to be in this space versus that space? Well, it feels, hmm, well, some context for how it feels is I consider myself a bicultural African-American woman in that I am fully black. I grew up in Atlanta, Georgia, raised in Decatur where everything is greater. My high school was all black. My city was 99% black. And so I'm a black person through and through. But I also grew up with an awareness of majority culture and understanding white culture, um, have an affinity for shows that were predominantly white. I love Sweet Valley High books growing up and Saved by the Bell, all those things. And so I say that to say that I can move pretty quickly and easily between majority culture and black culture and kind of navigate the road between those two. Um, and so being in the space of crew as an African-American person is not shockingly difficult it doesn't mean that I'm always like, at home, if that's a good way to describe it. Um, but I feel accepted and I feel welcomed. And um, I know that this is a place where I've been able to thrive and, and grow and um, find a space for myself. Home will always be the community that I came from and that I am from. Um, but this is also a place where I've been able to create home in a different way. And so to work for crew and to serve in my role as managing editor for a predominantly white organization, at times it is, it can be challenging, you know, when people don't have context for who you are or the fact that for me, I've been with crew for 18 years. Um, and so there's sometimes a questioning of, who are you and where do you fit? You know, like people trying to place you based on their experiences of the amount of ethnic minorities that they know who work for crew or who they may know who work for crew. And so it could feel like maybe you're having to um, prove who you are or prove that you belong here, um, which shouldn't be the case, but Sometimes that's a reality of being a minority in any kind of majority setting is that you have to give context for who you are. And when you are not in that space and you're with others who are like you, there's no need for that because you belong, you fit, you know. What do you think it's meant to other women and even other women of color for you to step into this role? Ooh, that's a great question, Samantha. Well, I think that it is encouraging, and I think that it provides, um, particularly I, I think of younger women of color that I know personally that I've reached out to and I've developed relationships with, 
Um, it shows them that there are people ahead of them in the journey. And so as they have questions, particularly in the space of the parachurch world with crew, um, you got someone you can go to and ask questions, you know. And there's one young woman, um, Amethyst, who works for AIA. She's in communications. What's up, Amethyst? Mm-hmm. Um, and I love her, and I love being able to... She's a journalist, too. She went to school for journalism. Um, and very much a similar to me. has chosen to serve the Lord in this space and use those gifts in the space of working for crew. Um, but I love having conversations with her where... I can just be real. Like, this is what it is. <laughs> this is what I've experienced. So I'm just going to recommend that you do A, Y, B, C, 3, D, whatever it connects to be. Because I want you to be prepared. Um, I think of one thing I've encouraged her to do, which is to um, be very mindful of her financial stewardship goals and to be proactive about... Um, increasing her salary as the years continue with crew, you know, to not assume that someone's going to tell her to do that (laughs) or to not wait around for the right time to do it, but to be actively engaged in increasing her salary just a little bit each year so that she is maintaining what she needs and preparing for the future. Um, Those kinds of things, you know, we have conversations about communications. We have conversations about just the dynamic of being black women um, in a majority white um, organization. And so I love being able to talk to her and um, have those connections and be real in that way. Amethyst, I like your name. That's my birthstone. Ah. Mm-hmm. It's a good name. <laughs> well, Mel, um, I know that you are currently a part of SLI 7. Yes, I am. SLI being the Strategic Leadership Initiative, which is a leadership track within crew. Oh, you tell us. <laughs> what did I say? The Strategic Leadership <laughs> Initiative. I mean, it is a strategic program, but um, SLI is Crew's Senior Leadership Initiative, and it's designed and defined, even on the website, as this um, intense leadership experience, which I would say is a thousand percent true. The intense part? Times a million. <laughs> What's intense about it? Oh, my God. giving away all the secrets. You are placed in this concentrated journey of developing as a person um, as your leadership abilities and gifts are also developed. And so sometimes you can look at leadership and think, you know, how can I be a better leader? How can I lead more effectively? How can I lead more strategically? And at the core of SLI um, is the reminder and the challenge that leadership is really about your heart. And it's really about your relationship with the Lord. And so those two pieces affect everything else. And if you want to be a leader that leads well and that has longevity in ministry and in the leadership roles God gives you, your heart and your relationship with him have to be priority. And so for me, what I've discovered through my journey with SLI is how God has used my heart, my relationship with him, my awareness of my relationship with myself, and then my relationship with others as I lead out and connect um, in those relationships to show me areas where there were deficits and weaknesses in me that needed to be tweaked a bit more. 
Um, he's used SLI to strengthen the gifts that I've naturally been given by him and to have a better understanding of who I am. One of the things I've loved so much in this journey, and this is more recent, I would say in 2019, I started my SLI experience in the summer, early fall of 2017, is I've really began to understand more deeply what it means to be an introvert and what introversion deeply is. Um, I am a socially extroverted introvert, and so I'm very able to engage with people in social settings and be very relational. But introversion is not really about if you're shy or you can't really do friendships or relationships. It's about where do you get your energy from? And extroverts get theirs from being around people and talking all the time, which for me, I'm like, why are y'all not tired? Like you have been talking for the last five hours and you won't stop. Like, I'm just tired looking at you. And introverts are like, please leave me alone and let me be by myself. Mm -hmm. So I'm learning (laughs) that introversion is about that, that energy piece. And as I've grown more in my understanding of it, I now am making decisions as a leader for how do I work well in light of my introversion? You know, instead of packing my day full of things, um, how can I create margin for myself? Um, How do I create boundaries in how I work with others so that I'm not giving so much of me in the context of meetings and other things, but I'm finding the space to get replenished and to take care of myself? What does that look like for me? What do I need? What doesn't work? What does work? And so that's been super helpful for me to experience during this SLI time, and um, I really have enjoyed that. Yeah. So did they have you take any temperament assessments, like the Enneagram, the Myers-Briggs, any of that that you want to share with us? Sure, 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 sure. So there are assessments that we take during the SLI experience. Um, I Some of them, a lot of us have already taken, and so we just pulled our results in um, to help us kind of grow more from them. But let's see here. Strength Finders, Core Clarity is one of them. Um, we've done 360 reviews to get a sense of how others experience us in team um, work dynamics. Um, The EQI, Emotional Intelligence Test, which has been really huge. So that's been a good one for me because I took it fall 2017, and then I took it again um, about a month and a half ago, and my intelligence went up four points. It was already high, so my emotional intelligence was already on the high end of the scale, um, but it went even higher. And I thought, oh, this is interesting um, because I'm wired naturally as an empathetic person, mm-hmm. um, very tuned in to the feelings of other people, um, very aware of how I engage with others, how they're feeling, how I'm feeling. Um, and I think what it showed me is that gift in me that God's given me has developed even more over the course of this program. Um, And it's helped me to see that how I process things emotionally will be at a higher degree than probably most people, Mm -hmm. um, which in some ways it's like, that's a lot to carry to be emotionally intelligent and to know that how I'm perceiving the world and experiencing the world, others likely won't to that same degree. And so how do I still take those experiences and live them out um, and then help others who 
can't experience the world that I do still kind of understand what I am experiencing um, and even picking up what they're experiencing and telling them, like, I perceive this. Is that what's going on with you? And so it's been very eye-opening. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So, Mel, we have a listener podcast group in Workplace, mm-hmm. and there's been a dialogue about just what brainstorming different topics and different people for the podcast for 2019. And one of the topics that kept coming up and has come up a lot just on episodes I've done, it just seems to come up a lot in conversation is singleness. Mm -hmm. And your name came up as someone to ask about it, which made me think you must be leaning into your singleness Mm -hmm. in a Mm -hmm. significant way. I could look and see, I can't remember who it was, but I, I figured I would pick your brain about Singleness, what are your thoughts? <laughs> I'm over here cackling to myself. So I'm like, who who recommended me for that piece of information? Um, so one of my mentors, um, I love her dearly. You know, she challenged me maybe a year or so ago to consider that singleness is, well, how did she phrase it? She said, nowhere in the Bible is singleness actually described as as a state of being or relationship status? Um, and but often what happens is we look at it and there's something like detrimental applied to it. Like you're single, you're alone, you're by yourself. And she's like, the reality is you're just unmarried. <laughs> that's 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 the difference. You're unmarried when you're a single person. And so the fullness of life that you have is just as full and just as um, present as someone who is not single, who's not unmarried, and and they have a relationship, and they are married. And so she's like, I just really think it's important to consider that single doesn't mean less than. It just, it's a different relationship status. And so how will you choose to live in the the place where you are as an unmarried person? Um, And I thought, that's really good. That's really, really good. And she actually sent me an Instagram picture a couple days ago. And the, it was a, like a quoted picture, and the quote on it said, how would you describe this season of your singleness? And she was like, Mel, this is a good question. And I was like, yeah, it is. And I thought about it. And for me, I said, you know, I think I would describe it as freedom. Like, this is how I would describe this season of my, my singleness, my unmarried state. Um, and it took me a while to get here, like... In my 20s, most of my 20s, early 30s, I bemoaned the fact that I had not been discovered by a godly man. I was not in a relationship. I wanted to be, you know, many of my girlfriends were getting married, getting engaged, moving on to this phase of life. Um, And parts of me felt like, oh, I will never catch up with them, you know, like I had to catch up in some way or um, I'm not in the same season that they're in. And I think in my almost mid 30s, something shifted in me. And what I began to understand was, one, the life that I had right now as a single woman was fulfilling and purposeful and beautiful and a gift from the Lord, and so many advantages came with that. 
that I was missing because I was focusing too much on what I didn't have instead of looking at what I did have? And why had God chosen to shape my story for this season in that way? What were the things that he wanted me to do that if I were married, if I had children, it would be either very difficult or maybe not very maybe impossible to do those things with those other responsibilities at, at hand. And so why had God chosen to shape my story that way? And was I paying attention to what he was doing? And how could I use that time well, you know? My mentor also, you know, told me, she was like, Melody, I want you to know that the time you have now to just be with Melody, to be with yourself and to think about life and to have all this time to process, marriage does not afford you that space. And so enjoy it now. Like take it all in because the things that you think and how you figure something will look, it doesn't look that way. And so what I'm learning about singleness is it really isn't about being lonely or being alone or not having something or having less of something. It's just a different kind of life, you know? Married, being married isn't a better life. It's just a different type of life. Being single isn't a better life. It's just a different type of life. Having children, same thing. Not having children, same thing. And so... It's like, how can I live in the story God's given me and appreciate it and live it well? Um, I think that's important. So I also think if you're single, you should be open to dating and, you know, don't just expect for the person that you hope God will bring into your life to show up on your door one day. Not to say that it, it can't happen that way, but I think that there is something valuable about what happens in the dating space that shows you how you need to grow as a person that will prepare you for that next relationship that, Lord willing, will be the long-term one that you'll be in. Well, a couple of things I wanted to ask you about that we didn't get to yet on or off record. Um, I know that you're a runner. Yeah. And I wondered how that's going and what your goals are right now. Hmm. <laughs> well, I, when she said you're a runner, I was like, yeah. And then I was like, I have not actually been running in a while. I'm um, putting you on the spot. <laughs> we'll just edit this out. Well, I was training for a half marathon. I started my training end of October 2018. My half marathon was January 27th, 2019. And got that done in the books. And so what I actually been focusing on the last two months is just um, toning my body and getting leaner. So I do kickboxing as my regular exercise and my trainers are crazy because they just are. They have us do things that I'm like, why is this okay? <laughs> Uppercuts, runs, they call them fun runs. I'm like, they ain't nothing fun about this. Stair runs, crab kicks. I mean, just surrenders. I hate surrenders. I really hate burpees. So imagine getting down on one knee at a time and then getting back up one leg at a time and doing that over and over again. It's a lot. Without using your hands, but I use my hands because I'm not trying to fall and hurt myself. So, yeah, it's a lot. But I really don't like burpees. Those are my worst. Nobody likes burpees. No. Some people enjoy them. I'm like, y'all crazy. So kickboxing is what I've been hanging out with. Um, I plan to do another half marathon at the end of the year in December. 
But yeah, I do enjoy running. It's been a great way for me to continue to get fitter and lose weight and get healthier. But I also like the space to think as I run, if that makes sense. Because you have, particularly if you're doing a long run, um, because when I was training, I was doing like 12-mile runs, depending on what the week was for training. And just you're in that time. So it's you in the pavement and and your body and your brain. And so it was a space for me to like, in a sense, run out things that I was thinking about or needing to process. And that was really helpful for me. Was that part of your introversion discovery? Because my husband is a runner mm-hmm. and he loves, I mean, he needs his running time. He's also an introvert and he needs that think process. He's always coming back from runs and like, I had the best idea or something he heard on a podcast or... I'm laughing because, yes, I agree with Darren. Um, Actually, when I did my half marathon, it was like the worst weather ever. It was raining upside down, sideways. It was raining all over. But because it was raining so much, actually a lot less people chose to do the race that day. Um, People chose to do a virtual option, and they just got their their metal melt to them. And so less people were on the course. And one of my thoughts afterwards, I was like, I was just so happy about that because the introvert inside of me was like, yes, they're like, no people around me and I get to be by myself. So (laughs) I think there is some truth to that space alone and being able to think. I would think a lot about things when I ran or when I would just do walks to get my mouths in for the week. And so, yeah, it gives good space for that. Well, thanks for being with us today. You're welcome. Is there anything that we didn't cover that we need to know? And why does your hair look so good? Ah! (laughs) Hilarious. Okay, the first question. Anything we didn't cover that we need to know? Uh, Oh, women in leadership. That's a good one. Um... Well, give me a question. What would be a good question about for women that? in leadership? Or what should I talk well, about with that? I mean, you could talk about one of. I don't know how much you know about the SLA. I know one of the SLA presentations yeah. was women in leadership, but that wasn't the one that you were no. on, right? No. I don't know. Would you want to touch on that, or hmm, maybe more so like why it's important to value both genders in the space of um, ministry and organizational culture. I think that's that could be a good one to talk about. So Okay. So I'm a fan of recognizing the giftings God's put in both genders. He's made us male and female, made in his image. He did that on purpose, and so he didn't make one less than the other or not quite enough. Like, we're made in his image, made to bear his likeness on the earth, and as a, as a woman, I can see in some spaces um, sometimes a disregard for abilities that women bring to the table, um, the gifts that God's given women, the intelligence, the brilliance, simply because our organs are different than a man's organs. 
that's all that I mean that for some situations is the only dividing line is you're not like me so you're you're just not smart enough or you're not like me so you clearly don't know how to do this and it's like ah that's such it's such a limiting perspective to have and in the space of ministry you know I just think it's so important to not allow that kind of limited thinking to keep us from working as effectively as we can with each other. Um, I'm a huge fan of Carolyn Custis James and um, her one of her books. I'm trying to think, what is it? Is it the Book of Ruth or... Uh, I think it may be the Book of Ruth, but she talks about um, this concept of the Blessed Alliance and how... When men and women in the body of Christ truly come together and work together um, and recognize the blessed alliance in those relationships, it destroys, in a sense, um, the enemy's desire to create animosity and division between us. Um, It just destroys it. When we recognize that blessed alliance and we come together, but when we don't recognize that blessed alliance and we treat each other poorly or, you know, um, there's a a need or desire to oppress um, another group because they're not the same, it just, it takes us away from the very purpose that God created us for, which is to be image bearers made in his likeness to project who he is on this earth to a a world that needs to know who he is. So, yeah, those are my thoughts about that. (laughs) Yeah, we're going to get to that. It's the, um, I was just going to say, yeah, it's the, the best reflection of who God is, is when there's gender diversity and there's ethnic diversity and there's cultural diversity. And age diversity. Mm -hmm. I grew up in a really homogenous white space and it it's not that I couldn't know God in that I mean because I met God in that space but I can't enjoy the fullness of God or the richness of who he is unless there's diversity in every way mm-hmm. in my life mm-hmm. and and that's why it's diversity is so enriching mm-hmm. because it's just a fuller reflection of who God is I go. think Okay, so the hair, you're preserving the sexy. Hashtag preserve the sexy. Say no to Team Fluffy. That's my other hashtag. Hashtag say no to Team Fluffy. For those who don't know what Fluffy is, Fluffy is the soft stuff around your belly when you've eaten too many potato chips and you've had too much ice cream and your muscle becomes fat. Fat is AKA Fluffy. So say no to Team Fluffy. Hashtag say yes to team preserve the sexy. There you go. Did you coin that phrase yourself? Team Fluffy, yes. I. Uh-huh. That's one of my hashtags. Well, the say no to team Fluffy is one of my hashtags. Okay. What about preserve the sexy? Now, that's actually a Black Girls Run um, slogan, oh, little tagline. Okay. BGR, Black Girls Run, um, is a national organization that seeks to get African-American women out on the pavement, running, walking, wogging, which is a combination of walking and jogging. Wogging. Uh-huh. Or jogging. I just learned that word. <laughs> and just right get now. moving, you know? Walking. Yeah. 
So preserve the sexy is a is a tagline for Black Girls Run. But this has none of this has explained why your hair looks so good. Ah, uh-huh. something's new. <laughs> well, interestingly enough, you know this is a a twist out on hair that had already been twisted out on, if that makes sense. So with African-American hair, um, and my hair is not chemically processed and it's not been for eight years. Wow, that's crazy. It's been that long. Mm -hmm. Um, But so what I'll do is I'll wash my hair and then I will divide it into sections and twist it in two-strand twist. And when I untwist those twists, it creates this fuller hairstyle of this, this curly twistiness all over. And so what I did with this, what you're seeing now is my hair, my hair had already experienced twist out and it was really soft. And so I just retwisted it with new creams. And that's what you got right here. It's really cute. Thank you, friend. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Love it. It's been fun. Yeah.